Today on Frightful Failures on Film, we are discussing Hush, a 2016 home invasion picture about a tireless killer stalking a deaf, mute woman. In other words, a great choice of movie for an audio podcast. So hop on down to Chinatown and stuff a mogwai, but don't feed it after midnight, because it's time for... once again for listening to Frightful Failures on Film. I am your co-host, Zach Romero. Joining me, as always, is Tian Guignol. And today, we have a very special episode because we have our very first guest on the show. And what a guest that it is, Tian. Yes! Sure, uh, many of you out there who may have stumbled upon our podcast hey, uh, may be familiar with the No Sleep podcast, uh, one of the top horror podcasts out there right now, and certainly responsible for me getting no sleep on occasion. And we, indeed, this is not a joke, it's not somebody we're pretending to be David Cummings, we have... A- <laughs> Why would we ever do that? Why would we ever have, like, make up characters or do voices or something like that? That would be ridiculous. Uh, but we indeed have uh, the real live host of No Sleep, David Cummings, here with us. So hello, David. Gentlemen, it's a pleasure to be the genuine David Cummings on your show. <laughs> it's great to have you here. Now, like I said, I'm sure uh, most people that have stumbled upon this being a horror comedy podcast uh, are familiar with your podcast. But just in case, could you give us a general summary of what your podcast is, what happens there every single week? Well, basically, we are what we call uh, an uh, anthology of original short horror stories. So it's uh, some ways you can think about it would be like an enhanced audio book. We take stories that are uh, generally posted online and the the subreddit No Sleep, where we get our name from. And we take those stories and we uh, get very, very good quality voice actors to uh, narrate and record or, you know, sort of perform the stories. And then we add some great music and sound effects and it all comes together as sort of a, a bit of an audio drama, a bit of a play and a bit of a, an audio book all rolled into one. So it's a place where you can hear scary stories well told. David, do you feel there's a certain genre of horror fiction that works particularly well for your podcast? Well, the the stories that we generally do are all written in the first person. So the the person who's telling the story is kind of a character in the story. They're they're explaining that what's uh, the events that they describe in the story actually happened to them. And uh, the stories are generally fiction, of course, but we present them as plausible, actual, uh, you know, sort of traumatic stories that these people went through. So. I think the the first-person perspective really works well for what we do because it creates kind of a sense of authenticity, a sense of urgency, and, yeah, I think it just draws people in more. They're not listening to a a third person who's just saying, oh, you know, here's something that somebody wrote. You're you're hearing a person explain their trauma, their ordeal that they went through, and I think that has a real way of connecting with the audience. So, in other words, uh, there's not a particular t- genre of horror that doesn't get podcasts. Like, you won't turn up your nose to paranormal or alien abduction or any type of story. Uh, we we generally do. Uh, I was going to say both kinds. When I say both, I mean we do have the paranormal, the supernatural kind of stories with ghosts and demons and spirits and whatnot. And then we have more of the 
kind of the realistic stories with human monsters, so to speak, stalkers, psychos, you know, that kind of thing. So, uh, yeah, I think we have a blend of both. We have done some that touch on, you know, kind of sci-fi horror, maybe with multiple dimensions or some sort of alien aspect. But, you know, basically we're looking for scary stories and that's, uh, you know, however it kind of fits in is this kind of stories we do. And I can see it being, uh, uh, you know, more of a judgment call in terms of how easily is this going to be conveyed? Like, yes, a science fiction story might be interesting, but if you have to pause in the middle of the story to uh, explain quantum mechanics to go, okay, so there's this dimension and then there's a pocket dimension that I could see that kind of breaking up the pace, but is there, let's, let's take the, uh, the bias out. Is there any stories that you particularly prefer? Like if you, get a ghost story across your desk? Are you like, oh, it's fantastic, or is it, uh, they're all the same, and if it's a good story, it's a good story? Well, personally, I'm a, I'm a fan of ghost stories and haunted house stories. If, if, if I see a story that is really well told and gives you that kind of person alone in a haunted house or trapped in, a, in, a, in an abandoned building with strange noises around them, that's going to appeal to me. I, I, lo- I always love that, kind of the traditional story. And one of the things that we often say about our stories is we call them campfire stories stories where people are sitting around a campfire telling each other ghost stories and oftentimes those kind of stories lend themselves to the haunted house or haunted building scenario so yeah that's that's my personal preference but uh like you said anything that uh is is going to be captivating and engaging is going to appeal to me and uh, you know, one of the nice things is that we have stories that come in that it's not just me choosing. So the show is not, it's mm. not with my bias in it. There are stories that, you know, frankly, we've done some stories that don't necessarily kind of touch a nerve in me, but we still produce them and it has a good impact with the audience. So that's another benefit. It, it's not just me curating the stories. It's, it's something that has a much broader approach. What was the process like for starting the podcast for you? Uh, were you originally just kind of browsing around it and discovered all these wonderful stories and thought to yourself these would really make wonderful productions? Um, or, or what was that like for you? It actually started uh, another gentleman by the name of Matt Hansen. He came up with the idea way back in 2011. Uh, he said he sort of put a post on the subreddit, No Sleep, and said, would anyone be interested in a podcast where people are telling these stories? And it got a lot of response, and that's where I heard about it. And I threw my hat in the ring and said, I'll, you know, I'll narrate a story here and there if you'd like. And um, long story short, uh, nobody else kind of stepped up to produce the episodes. And so I thought, well, I, you know, I've done a little bit of audio stuff. I can probably cobble together something and... So I, I produced the first episode, and then that turned into the second and the third, and then so it was. It sort of started as a, a minor role as a, a occasional narrator, and it turned into me being the uh, full time producer of the show. Wow! Um, and has there ever been a story that you have truly lost sleep over? Um, <laughs> I'm so exhausted at the end of the day, I, I don't lose a lot of sleep. <laughs> <laughs> it could be the greatest story on earth, but it's not going to beat that. <laughs> That's right. But th- there are, certainly have been some where as I'm producing it, it, it's funny because obviously 
I read the stories. Um, I narrate a lot of them. And uh, I, in other words, I'm, I know what's happening in the story. I'm not surprised by it. But there are times when I listen to a production as I'm finishing it up. And there might be a certain sound effect or a certain line or just something about how it's been presented that, yeah, I'll get that shiver down my spine or, you know, kind of get that little cold chill. So uh, I don't know if I lose sleep, but I certainly, um, you know, have been affected by the stories. Yeah, that's good. And yeah, you never don't, you never want to be jaded by it. Now, um, not to jam anybody up, but uh, has has there been something in the opposite direction? Has there been a story that was done? that not only maybe didn't strike a nerve with you, but you were like, this is awful. Why did we, what was this charity case that we ended up doing? Uh, anything along those lines? Mm, nothing, again, nothing that sort of jumps out in my mind. Um, one of the things in, in terms of if there's any kind of bias against stories, we try to avoid stories that are kind of really extremely graphic, uh, things that have like torture porn elements to them. Um mm you know, the snuff element, a lot of really graphic sexual violence. We try to avoid that kind of thing. And and there have been some stories that kind of skirt that, you know, invisible boundary that, that is sort of out there that we've set up for ourselves. But And, and we know that, the fact yeah, is, that you're not saying that lightly when you say extremely graphic. Uh, I had just listened to your story the other day about the tampon recall and know how graphic that was. And so I know you're not saying that lightly at all. Like, oh, a beheading is too graphic. You, when you say extremely graphic, you, you must mean that because I legitimately got grossed out during that and had to turn it off. Yeah, and that that's certainly been one of those stories that has had a, a real impact with the listeners because, like you say, it has that real visceral uh, sort of grabbing ability to really uh, spook people, certainly ladies, and uh, even guys can get uh, pr- kind of creeped out about it. But, yeah, I think, uh, like you say, we're, we're certainly, uh, you know, as a podcast, we're labeled explicit. We, uh, you know, we do, we do push the boundaries in terms of, you know, presenting horror in all its formats, but... You know, I would I would much rather have a story that implies, you know, really graphic violence than, you know, might sort of sit there and talk in detail about how sinews are being cut apart and all that <laughs> kind of stuff. We can uh, we can imagine uh, horror much easier than we can just absorb it. So sort of the uh, the Texas Chainsaw Massacre technique, the suggestion of unbelievable graphic violence without actually having to show unbelievable graphic violence. Yeah, that's a great example. Yeah, there's uh, as, as people have always pointed out, there's almost no blood in the Texas Chainsaw Massacre uh, movie, the original, anyways. Mm-hmm. So, um, yeah, that, that's that's a great uh, analogy that allow people to picture in their own head all the the scary things that they want to think about and all the gore they want to think about. Let them use their imagination; that'll impact them more than if we spell it out and get really explicit with it. And it, it works. Well, yeah, certainly, there are people that swear to this day that they saw that cop's ear get cut off in Reservoir Dogs, and it's not shown. Yeah, exactly. Well, David, uh, we we have <laughs> frightful fairies. We haven't exactly been uh, entirely upfront with you in regards to this. Uh, appointment. Uh, you see, we didn't we didn't just bring you on the show uh, just to, just to do an interview. Oh, uh, okay. Yeah, yeah. I'm, uh, I guess what Zach is trying to say is, uh, well, you you host uh, short stories, and we both have been dabbling in some horror stories lately. We hoped uh, maybe we could pitch them to you in order to, you know, uh, you know, kind of be featured on the yeah. podcast. Oh, uh, um, <clears throat> well, it's, yeah, it's, it's a little informal, I guess, but, uh, uh, sure. W- why not? 
Um, yeah, I suppose we can give it a whirl. Oh, <laughs> awesome. Thank you, thank you. you. I swear, you will not regret it, David. Uh, great. So I think, Zach, we each have a story, so maybe if you don't mind, Zach, I'll go first. No, that's fine. That's fine, Tim. Go right ahead. Oh, great. Thank you so much. All right, so... <clears throat> so I'm just getting all the coughs out there. So my story is called The Last Halloween. So I was getting to be that age where I was too old to trick. I was in high school and all of my peers had seemed to mutually agree that we were all too cool to trick or treat. But I loved Halloween. It had always been my favorite holiday, so I had a hard time letting go. But I was also desperate to fit in. So I didn't protest too much, but instead I attempted to convince a small group of friends that we should have this year. They agreed, and as the big night approached, we had all selected our costumes. My closest friend Josh was dressed as Pennywise, you know, from the clown from It. The two others joining us decided to dress as the Blues Brothers. I was the Red Power Ranger. Now they met at my place. We grabbed a few pillowcases and headed out. That started innocently enough. We hit all the neighbors' houses, beginning to fill up our sacks with candy. My friends teased at the idea of us all collecting candy like children. They called it gay, which I disagree with the use of that word as a pejorative term, but that's another story. I attempted to play it cool, laughing and joking about how lame we were by still trick-or-treating. As the night went on, we got further into lugging bags that were becoming heavier. And eventually we reached the entrance to a small, dark neighborhood that I was unfamiliar with. I didn't see many houses with lights on, so I suggested we move on, but Josh pointed to one house, deep in the back of the neighborhood, that featured a glowing green light. Let's go, he shouted, and led the group into the neighborhood. Last house after house, all dark, not one sign of life visible as we approached the bright green light, watching it get larger. We finally reached the house, finding that the green glow was from a rather large spotlight sitting in the front of the yard. The rest of the yard was filled with corny Halloween decorations, foam gravestones, plastic skeletons, rubber bats, lots of cobwebs, that sort of thing. The setup was in the garage, framed in red and purple string lights. There weren't any other kids around, just us. We agreed the candy must be in the garage. The group of us made our way up the driveway, where we noticed an old, thin woman sitting in a lawn chair, holding onto a large bowl of candy. Trick or treat, we shouted in unison, nudging each other and chuckling at how childish we felt. The old woman in the chair smiled and raised one bony finger up, wagging it at us. Ah, 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 she started. To get the candy, you'll have to enter my house of horrors. She gestured to the garage. We all rolled our eyes and muttered insults under our breath and trudged into the garage, which was filled with more of the same from the yard. Plastic bones, fake spiders, rats. The centerpiece being a large statue of a witch in front of a cauldron. The old woman called into us. Make sure you feel inside the boxes of mystery before you leave. Unsure of what she meant, I turned back towards the witch and noticed a table featuring three cardboard boxes, each with a hole in them large enough to fit my hand through. Curious, I approached and stuck my hand in the first. I felt around, discovering what felt like a large amount of eyeballs. I removed my hand and lifted up the box, curious to see what the items truly were. 
and upon this reveal I felt a tremble carry itself from my hand that held the box up over my arm and down my spine. No, I whispered in shock, peeled grapes. I lowered the box and tried to forget what I'd just seen. Something primal told me to get out of this house of horrors, but I decided to check the second box, sticking my hand in the next hole and feeling what felt like brains, mushy, mashed brains. Curious, I, I lifted this box as well, even though every part of me said not to. I had to force myself to open my eyes to a mere squint in order to see the second contents. Red Jello. I suppressed my vomit to a mere gag and felt my eyes roll into the back of my head as my body told me I was about to lose consciousness. I needed to leave, to run far away from here and never come back, but my body forced me against my own will to thrust my hand into the hole of the third box. Inside guts. At least the feel of them. Loose intestines and diced up organs. Barely conscious, my body once again forced me to lift the third box and subject my brain to the final terror. Cooked cold spaghetti. This time the vomit did come. I spit up over myself and realized I was sobbing violently and had evacuated most of the contents of my bowels. My body was going into shock. I passed out. I awoke sometimes later to my friends standing over me. I prayed they hadn't seen what I saw. The old woman told me she'd called my mother to come pick me up, but nothing would make me forgive her for what she'd done. When my mother got there, my friends and I piled into the minivan, and I sipped out of a Powerade she'd brought me, still attempting to stop the tremble in my hand and trying to erase the images burned into my mind. We drove home, and I thought how all of this could have been avoided if I just hadn't pushed for one more year of trick-or-treating. Halloween is no longer my favorite holiday, and I'll never be able to forget this. This, my last Halloween. Woo! <laughs> <laughs> oh, oh, David. Oh, it feels good. Uh, David, so, so what, what, what do you think? What, what do you think? Um, hmm. <laughs> Wow, that was, uh, <laughs> well, that was, it was something, all right. Something. Oh, I like the sound of that. <laughs> so, uh, do you think it's ready to appear on No Sleep? <laughs> no. Uh, um, <clears throat> what I mean, uh, is probably not yet. Um, maybe, I don't know, a few r revisions, one or two or a dozen revisions, drafts, then. I don't know, maybe, yeah, maybe, but prob still probably not. Harsh, but fair. Okay, okay, well, uh, Tian and I have different writing styles. Uh, I'm a little more influenced by Tales of the Dark Side and Are You Afraid of the Dark, and so uh, so let me hit you with mine, and I guarantee, David, you will not be disappointed. <coughs> My story, submitted for your approval, is called The Best Friend. That was the sound of me throwing uh, the the dust milk, the milk dust in the campfire. That's what that sounded. Anyway, this is a true story. So a few years back, I had a friend. Let's 
call him Greg. Greg and I met on campus in art history class, and although we'd only known each other for a few months, we had quickly become pretty close. We saw movies together, played video games together, sometimes just sat back and drank and talked. After school, you know, we talked about school, we talked about career goals, girls, life. It was nice. I could honestly say, just knowing Greg for months, that he was one of my best friends. I trusted him, and I think he trusted me. A lot of times we hung out on campus or at local co- coffee shops. Other times we'd go back to my place, a small apartment about half a mile from campus. Now, don't get me wrong, I, I didn't mind my place, but at times it felt less cozy and more cramped with two grown men hanging out there, especially if we were involving another mutual friend. So once in a while I'd suggest, hey, Greg, why don't we go back to your place? He'd politely decline. He said he wasn't on good terms with his roommates and that his house was always messy and he was embarrassed by it. Although I could, I would tell him those things didn't matter, but that I'd mind a mess and that we'd keep away from his housemates, but he always insisted that we could just not go to his place. And I, I, I respected his wishes, but four or five months into the friendship and it became a little odd. Did he not trust me? Greg was so nice, though, that I didn't want to push him on something that clearly made him uncomfortable. If he, if he didn't want to invite me in, I, I wasn't going to make him. One day, however, we were hanging out at a record store that was fairly close to Greg's house. Flipping through vinyl and perusing old books, we eventually decided to head outdoors and walk around in the pleasant autumn breeze. We walked for a while and... At one point, while deep in conversation about Cynthia Masterson, this blonde bombshell that sits in the student center every Wednesday, I didn't happen to notice the large piece of sidewalk that was protruding at an odd angle in front of me. Oblivious, my foot caught it, and I went down hard, twisting my ankle. I yelled out! Greg rushed down to me, asking if I was all right. I don't know, man. My ankle hurts so bad, I think I might have broken it. He inspected it, asking me what sort of pain I felt. Upon confirming that it only hurt when I moved it, he assured that it was probably only sprained. We agreed I'd put some ice on it and go to the campus medical center in the morning. I tried to stand, crumpling, when I attempted to put pressure on it. Craig, man, I don't know if I can make it to the store. Aren't we close to your place? A look of dread crossed Greg's face as he realized what I was asking. He thought for a moment, seeming to consider any other options. Realizing it was the best choice of action, he reluctantly confirmed that we were indeed not far. He helped me up and let me put one arm around him, thus allowing me to hobble a short distance. Greg looked pale as a ghost as we approached his house. He presented his keys, and I watched his hand tremble as he inserted the proper key into its lock. Opening the door, he led me in, and I saw a completely normal house. I was confused. This place wasn't messy at all. Greg led me to the couch into his living room so I could sit. He went to his kitchen and scooped some ice into a plastic bag, wrapping it in a paper towel and returning to the living room to hand it to me. He sat next to me, asking how I was feeling. I I, I wasn't terrible, but I was worried about the ankle. Even with the ice on it, it felt warm and throbbed. And He asked, well, can I get you something to drink? Uh, just Just water, I told him. He got up again, returned to the kitchen to search for a clean glass. Hey, Greg, can I use your restroom? I heard him stop what he was doing. Frozen, I heard only silence. Eventually, he responded, 
Sure, down the hallway there behind you, the, the door on your right. He stuck his head out of the kitchen and made eye contact with me, his expression deadly serious. On the right, he repeated. I stood up, hobbling and holding onto the couch. I found his repetition odd, but my mind was more on my ankle and my bladder. As I approached the door on the right, having to lean on the walls down the hallway, I paused, looking to my left and seeing another door. Craig's room. It had to be. This was his bathroom, and the other hallways were those of his housemates. This was the room he was keeping away from me. The room that must be the reason why I hadn't been allowed in his home for almost half a year. My curiosity was too great. I looked back, and I didn't see Greg, assuming he was cleaning a glass for me. I limped to his door, and I put my hand on the knob. It was unlocked. I opened it slowly, trying not to make too much noise, leading myself inside the room on my weak ankle. And that's when my heart stopped. The air became caught in my throat. I felt myself get lightheaded. I became cold and trembled, feeling the hair on the back of my neck stand on end as I took in Greg's room. All of it. It was all... From floor to ceiling, covered in it. It was all over the walls, the furniture, everything was made of it. The sheets on his bed, the lampshade, the contents of his open closet, even the damn floor mat I was standing on. Disgusted, I stepped off it, almost falling. I looked at everything, trying to prevent myself from fainting from shock. I looked at all the faces, lifeless, staring at me with cold, motionless eyes. Fluttershy. Applejack, Pinkie Pie, Rainbow Dash, Twilight Sparkle, of course. They surrounded me in all the posters, on all the merchandise that covered his room. Not an inch of the room was uncovered. My heart was pounding. My adrenaline kicked in. I, I needed to get out. I needed to run despite my ankle. But before I could move, I heard his voice behind me. What do you think, Zach? I turned to look at the friend I thought I knew, and there he was, in a full pony costume. Tail, mane, hooves, everything. He had a large smile on his face. Listen, Greg, I started, my voice cracking in fear. I, did, I didn't see anything. I can just leave, and I swear I won't tell a soul, I promise. Just please, please let me go. Greg's smile remained, and he calmly and kindly spoke. No, stay. It's better this way. I'm glad you found out, and I, I think maybe you belong here. At this point, I noticed that Greg was holding a small piece of paper. He looked at the paper in his hand, then to me, and continued, I think you're more of a Pegasus, but I've picked out the perfect cutie mark just for you. He started to take slow steps towards me, extending the temporary tattoo. I tried to scream, but no noise came out, as if I'd forgotten how... Zach, Zach, yeah. Zach. Yes, David. What, what the... Uh, that was... That was worse. That was so much worse. Guys, I thought this was a horror podcast. You both seem to have no concept of what's scary. Okay, 
Guys, storytelling builds a world. It, it puts your audience in the protagonist's shoes. It fills the listener with suspense. It leaves them with, with bated breath, eager to take that next step. It, it's a sense of dread washing over them as they hear the storyteller reach for the doorknob, unaware of what lurks behind it. <laughs> I swear, I just got chills. Oh, I get what David is trying to say. He means we don't have the production value of his podcast. Uh-huh. You know, his stories have sound effects like old-time radio drama. Oh, well, we can do that. That's nothing. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Uh, Zaka, be my Foley artist. Okay, all right. All right, so I was walking through the woods late at night. I heard the wind howling. I heard the wolves howling. Ow! I heard the frogs howling. <laughs> Even heard the monkeys chattering. <laughs> when suddenly, I looked up and I saw a man approaching me. Ooh. He walked over to me, and when he got to me, he crouched down and started having violent diarrhea all over the ground. It got oh everywhere, spreading to me, covering my shoes, guys, getting inside guys, my shoes, filling guys, up my shoes. Guys, what, 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 stop. what, 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 Please, what, 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 just stop. You're both idiots. Okay, that's harsh, but still pretty fair. I cannot believe I canceled another meeting to be here. You both are the worst storytellers I've ever heard. <laughs> And you wouldn't know something scary if it bit you in the ass. Oh, hey, that's a good story idea. Something scary bites ass. Nice. Got it. Okay, that's it. I'm out. Thank you for wasting my time. Goodbye. David? I... He must have been something wrong with his phone. I I think he's gone. I think the program we were using maybe maybe cut out. But but hey, it really sounds like sounds like we got a shot. Yeah, (laughs) say hello to the two new narrators on uh, on the podcast. That's awesome. Way to go! Yeah, look forward to that, guys. We'll we'll probably be on there soon. Um, but anyway, so to uh, move on here, uh, this week, guys, we watched Hush. Yeah, we actually got to uh, watch a, a actual pretty decent. Netflix horror film that that was uh, that just recently came out, and so um, basically, and this is actually going to work out well because you can sum this movie up very easily uh, because it's a very uh, minimalist uh, character uh, roster. There's only like I think maybe four characters in the movie, yeah. Uh, and so basically, the whole gist of the movie is uh, there's a uh, novelist who lives kind of eh, someone on their own in the woods, um, but the gimmick is that she's a deaf mute. Uh, they they explained that she had like meningitis when she was a kid, and so she's a deaf mute. Um, and for no real reason, uh, this like serial killer happens to find her and starts tormenting her, and is eventually going to try to kill her. Um, that's the basic gist in like ten seconds of the movie. Mm. Yeah, uh, and and I want to first say like yeah, this was a good movie and all, but I was really disappointed this movie wasn't about Tommy Elliot. Like I thought entirely I know, right? that's so what like, it was going to be. I'm like, where's Wayne Manor? Where's the uh, you know? Yeah. So, or, or the um, twist is it's Jason Todd. Um, oh, yes. Um, so, a little bit back about this movie. This is uh, written and directed by a husband and wife team, the wife being the lead, uh, oh, Kate okay. Siegel. Yeah. So, um, her husband primarily directed it, but they both wrote it together, so I can't imagine that she didn't have some kind of say in, you know, how this movie was shot. Um, but apparently they were just at dinner one night and just had this concept and went and made it. Um, so, 
Uh, do we want to? Do you have any? Uh, do you want to get started on it then? Or? Yeah, that's fine. Yeah. Cool. Um, so, movie opens up, and we're introduced to our our lead character, Maddie, um, who is a writer. Um, she lives kind of alone in this sort of shack, kind of out in the middle of nowhere nearest neighbors, probably a mile away, and she's only got a couple of them, uh, but seems to get along. Uh, she uses everything Apple, so I already love this character. She's an Apple <laughs> zombie just like me. She's got her Mac computer, Th- and this is not just your your kind of standard movie product placement. This is like, oh boy, I better FaceTime and use some iMessage to get a hold of the police, and then afterwards I'll pull up pages and make a note real quick, and then maybe <laughs> put together a slide... Yeah, no, it's 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 a lot of Apple in this movie. Um, so we're introduced to her, and uh, very quickly uh, we're introduced to the fact that she is indeed uh, deaf mute, and her neighbor comes over to let her know that she's finished her first book, and we do have a clip of that. I finished your book. I finished your book. I know you can read my lips, but I'm getting better, better. <laughs> I, um, I want to practice. Taking another class with John, it's fun. I'm a bit at understanding it than actually doing it, but what did I think? I loved it. I, um, I loved Riley. I loved Aaron. They were great characters. Uh, I tried to guess the ending. I'm usually on point with that sort of thing, but I was way off. Now, did you pick up that um, that Maddie was a lesbian at all, or no? I honestly did. Yes, that that you know, obviously the the movie sets up that she is not um, right, but she does seem very like in her interactions, like yeah, she seems the bedroom eyes. Oh yeah, she seems very about her friend Sam. I think her name is she seems Sarah. very about Sarah. oh Sarah, whatever. Um, so she seems very about her. Um, but Sarah is dating someone and supposedly, uh, Maddie is getting over an ex, uh, who you find out because he texts her and says thinking about you and she, you know, goes through this sort of should I, shouldn't I of FaceTiming him to get a hold of him. Um, so yeah. Which I actually thought was interesting because they play up this ex-boyfriend angle at the beginning and he never, it never comes to, it never comes to fruition. Like nothing ever comes of it. Yeah, which is kind of nice, and we'll get into this, but, I mean, as far as horror movies being, or or at least slashers and home invasion flicks, being genuinely feminist, uh, this definitely was an example of that, and I feel that maybe the fact that the ex, nothing came of the ex-boyfriend thing, nothing came of her needing to rely on a man in this movie, was sort of the point. So I was okay with that, with not ever having to see the ex-boyfriend or find out the end, like, oh, you know, I am going to hit him up. I, after almost getting killed, I am definitely going to go uh, be, get back with him. Which I have to say, um, I was... Well, let's let's speed through the, the summary, because I have some thoughts I want to throw about at the end, but I don't oh, want sure, to jump sure. the gun. Yeah, so um, we get an interesting idea, which they introduce, they, they introduce certain concepts very nice and organically in this movie. Like, um, you know, we get sort of a little scene in the beginning of just quiet. Like, she's just walking around doing her thing, but it's just in silence because she's deaf. So we kind of get a glimpse of, like, what it's like for her. Um, and then uh, she's she's cooking a meal, and uh, she ends up burning it because she's too busy making bedroom eyes at her friend, and uh, so the, the smoke alarm goes off. And it's this huge, loud, bright, 
monstrosity of an alarm, and her friend even makes mention, like, Jesus Christ, that's a hell of a fire alarm, and she signs to her, well, I need it to be really loud, because I need to feel the vibrations, I need to wake me up. So, there were certain concepts like that, that were introduced, that ended up coming into into play later, but it felt very natural how they came in. It wasn't like, oh, here's my knife that I always carry with me, yeah. just in case, you never know. It was none of that. It was all very organic, and made sense, and then it was like, oh, this actually came into play later. That's absolutely correct. And one of those, uh, without playing a clip for you guys of two minutes of just signing, uh, one right. of those concepts is the fact that uh, Maddie admits she has a voice in her head, and it's usually the voice that she uses when she's writing. It helps her sort of almost argue with herself about, oh, where should I go with the story next? Uh, what should I have this character do? What's going to make sense? What would you know upset readers or whatever? And we, we have a sample of what that sounds like. The rage bubbled up, spreading into his head. His ears rang, his eyes felt hot. She sat being mysterious. Please. Nope. Down. Not working. Not working. Something brighter. Staring down with her wide, endlessly patient eyes. They twinkle with red, blue, and yellow light, just as the damned Jesus fish had when it pulled him out of the fog and into hell. That's better. I need something more, something that's okay. Better. Aaron dies. I can't kill Aaron. Piss them all off. Didn't set it up properly. Or scrap the whole book and find another career. A better idea. Now that's an interesting uh, concept because I thought once they introduced this, because they introduced it in a very mild manner sort of way. Like she's just working on her laptop and she's got this like parade of voices that are just going to bounce around. Um, I thought that was going to come into play a lot more. Like I thought that was going to be the... Uh, the sort of equivalent of Jason Satham and Death Race, that the uh, even though he's supposed to wear this mask, the moment he got into the car, he would rip the mask off. Same kind of thing. Like the moment this idea was introduced, I assumed it was well, we're not going to watch a movie of a woman who's silent the whole time. This is going to be the stand-in of her dialogue, and that doesn't happen. It only comes into play one time in the movie after this. So I was very impressed with them being uh, really committed to the idea of this is going to be silent on her part that she's. You know, she does. She isn't going to be able to just like you know belt out something or something ridiculous like that. That we're going to keep it quiet because that there's there's discomfort there. Yeah, and, and spoiler alert: there is no. Uh, she doesn't talk at the end. You would expect maybe a movie with a That's deaf or mute woman. Okay, okay. Like that, let's talk she'd about have a one liner at the end. You know, like yeah. and fuck you too. You know, but that doesn't right. happen. And I kept expecting that too, because especially when the killer is being a nutball, like I was expecting something was going to happen. Mm-hmm. And they didn't. They were. They really. They had. Uh, they had the know-how not to go that cheesy with it. They, yeah. They went, no, she, it's you don't magically get to talk just because of willpower. Like she literally had a, a, a sickness and an, and an operation, and she can't. It just doesn't happen. So uh, yeah, that was something I had in mind. I'm like, oh, now she's gonna say something. No, just kidding. Uh-huh. Yeah. Um, and, and Zach's right. Everything that's sort of introduced early on, all those concepts of this movie, are, feel extremely organic. They feel extremely natural. And um, in terms of being what you might expect from a movie star where your final slash only girl is a deaf mute woman, it does meet your expectations in terms of some of the things that you think are, would happen in that sort of movie. But not in a way of, oh, saw this coming, in a way of, oh, this feels satisfying. I feel mm-hmm. fulfilled with, I'm watching a movie about a deaf woman. They did this creepy thing that I wanted them to, 
and pulled it off successfully. And one of those is what happens with the first kill in the movie, which, if you want to set up... So while you, what, what you're hearing is Maddie is cleaning up the dishes and her friend that she was making bedroom eyes at is being brutally murdered outside her glass door and Maddie can't see and she obviously doesn't hear anything. Three feet away from her. So yeah, this horrifying murder is happening three feet away and she's got no idea. Um, and so then the killer, who's wearing this kind of awkward frowny face... Um, it was like if somebody wanted to make a more realistic uh, mask of the Leslie Vernon mask from behind the mask. <laughs> um, it was like a more realistic one of that. But anyway, so the killer like is sort of sort of hamming it up a little bit. Like he keeps stabbing the friend, like expecting to make like the big like bum bum ba. But <laughs> Maddie never turns around. She's just doing her own shit, and he's like, "Wait, what?" And so then finally he lets the he drops the dead body and like starts banging on the door. And Maddie still ignores him because she's got no clue. And so that sort of entices him as like, oh, this is interesting. Um, so he drags the dead body away, and now he's focused on Maddie um, and, and focused on tormenting her. So we, we begin to see the beginning of his torment prior to her even being aware that he's there. Uh, he just straight up opens the sliding glass door to her home, walks in, stands right behind her, Tell me, what what scene does that remind you of? Of him coming in behind her? Yeah, staying there behind her and she's unaware. Um, I don't know. What, what it might remind you of? The Strangers. Oh, well, yeah, that's true. Yeah, uh, but here's the thing. Uh, and you may know this, Zach. I think you and I have discussed The Strangers a while ago. But I fucking hate The Strangers. <laughs> I don't think it's good. And I believe that this movie did what everyone claims The Strangers does, which is be extremely creepy and, and you know, torment the victims in the movie while also tormenting the audience in a way of, of having this real primal fear and dread of these people in the house. They, they're somewhere. They haven't just left. And they're, they're, they're out there and they're going to come and they're absolutely willing to kill you. Um, but, but I don't feel The Strangers effectively does that. I feel that this absolutely does. That she's sitting there writing her novel and he's staying there behind her, tapping the zipper of his jacket with the knife, making this cling and knowing that she can't hear it. He's standing right behind her with this giant, giant hunting knife. Um, and, and at one point she then gets a FaceTime call from her friend and you watch him just casually step out of frame so that the friend doesn't see him on FaceTime. It was, it's very unsettling, extremely unsettling. Yeah. And it really, it was, it's a very interesting concept because it immediately creates believability for this like isolation scare tactic. It's like she's in the middle of the woods. She's literally deaf, so he already has an advantage over her. And so as the audience, you were already on edge. And so uh, much like the movie we talked about last week tried to do, hmm. uh, he immediately takes care of the, well, she's got technology. How does she not just call the police? Well, he, he cuts the power and he takes her phone. 
so she can't call out to the police and she can't like FaceTime somebody or something like that because there's no internet in the house anymore because he cut the power. So it was like, okay, that quickly resolves that, you know, uh, so you can't be like, oh, why didn't you just do it? Well, no, that's not it. So um, they kind of have their first meeting after she's aware that, uh-oh, something is wrong. And so she writes on the window, you know, I haven't seen your face. You know, you can leave now. My boyfriend is 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 going to be home soon. And so what I thought was a very interesting turn and interesting for a couple of reasons. The killer is outside. He reads the message. The killer takes off the mask and then asks if she can, you know, understand him so she, so he can talk to her and she can read his lips. And here's the... Uh, Here's the scene for that. You've seen it now, haven't you? Seriously, Maddie, maybe you could come back and live with me. Now I worry about you. It's not good for anyone to be so alone, Squish. I can come in anytime I want. I can get you anytime I want. But I'm not going to. Not until it's time. When you wish you're dead, that's when I'll come inside. Now, what was interesting about this is number one, it was it, it was it solved a problem that I didn't even uh, didn't occur to me. I'm like, well, how are they going to communicate if if she can't hear him? Like, how is he going to play mind games if she's like got no clue that he's there? So this that solved that, but I also thought it was interesting because um, the him removing the mask and not being anything extraordinary underneath it, I thought was incredible because yeah. the slasher characters they're always something. It's Michael Myers or it's Jason Voorhees or it's Freddy Krueger. There's always a gimmick to them. They're not just like a guy. It's like, yeah, Michael was just sort of this guy at first, but then the mythos and the lore kicks in, and he's like this unstoppable killing machine, and blah blah When this guy takes off his mask, he doesn't have, like, any kind of crazy scars. He doesn't look like the Phantom of the Opera. He's just, like, a doofy-looking guy who looks like somebody who would just, like, work at, like, a warehouse store or, like, a, like a, like a, a Home Depot or something. He's just a dude. And I thought I, I did myself a real disservice because I uh, pulled up the IMDb page for this movie before I watched it and saw it was John Geller Jr. that was playing this killer. And I thought, oh, fuck, I hope that the beginning of this movie doesn't have, like, a conversation with an unmasked John Gallagher Jr. and I just spoiled something for myself. But no, just like Zach is saying, he does not have a name. He is unlisted. There is no name for this character uh, in the credits. He is just man. And that's the whole idea. He's just a guy. There's no backstory. There's no catch. There's no gimmick. He's a man, and he's come for her. Right. And so it just sort of happens by by just coincidence. He's like, he just happens to find her shed and kills her friend, and he's like, oh, okay, cool. So I guess I'll kill her too. And he figures out that she's deaf, and so he's going to toy with her first before ultimately trying to kill her. And so then we get the big, this is sort of the... Um, conflict of the movie now is she's trying to protect herself, but she's sort of just in a panic. And, and I will say though, that one of the things that the movie did remarkably well is I never felt, 
I never felt that I I knew better than the than the than the character. Yes, and this is the real meat and potatoes of this movie, and and I think how we feel about it is that the main action of this film does not feel like your stereotype of a horror movie, specifically this brand of horror movie of the don't go in there, you know, or what are you doing? You never feel that way. You never really question her actions. Like there's only once right near the end where I said, I would have done something different there. But other than that, uh, she's completely on point and is absolutely a survivor. Um, I'm curious uh, if the, I'm curious if the, the exception is the same for me as it was for you. So I'll yeah, probably. talk about that. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, so she's doing her best to try to, you know, figure things out, and he ends up uh, popping the tires in her car so she can't drive away. Um, but even Sticking so, the cell phone as well. Yeah, and so, uh, you know, they're kind of going back and forth, and she is trying to outsmart this guy essentially, and she's tough. She's tough. There's a moment where. He almost gets her, like she has a window open because she's trying to grab at uh, at her friend's cell phone, and he kind of finds her and comes running after it. And there's a moment where, like, he's kind of coming through the window, and she's trying to keep him out of the window, and she just grabs this old tack hammer and just smashes him in the arm and, like, cuts him deep, and he's like, ah! And it's like, okay, she's not one to screw with, by the way. She's not going to go down quietly. Yeah. So. Yeah, and you, you feel more and more for her. I mean, it's it's... Perfectly paced in the sense that uh, as this starts, you you start to see like okay, let's see what she's gonna do. You watch her first move and you go okay, you know I, I probably would have done something similar. Her second move, you're like wow, this is a pretty smart as as far as final girls go. This is a this is a fairly intelligent one. And by the end, you're like okay, I really wouldn't have done hardly anything different from how she did it. She she survived obviously. Uh, she she did her due diligence. And this is uh, m- most definitely a cat and mouse game. Uh, there's no other way to describe it, and it's a very well done cat and mouse game to where these are evenly matched people, and the uh, uh, scale of power is constantly shifting here. Um, one of the things that we forgot to mention is that this guy's a crossbow, and so that's one of the reasons that she can't just open this light, like throw a rock in the other direction and just run, is because she knows that he doesn't have to just catch her, he has to just aim. And just hit her in the back with a crossbow. And so it's one of the reasons that she hasn't just bailed out of there. So they've kind of covered every exit. You know, they shut down the power, slashed the tires, he's got a crossbow. Um, there's all these various reasons why they're stuck in this elaborate cat and mouse game. Right. And so, uh, she makes an effort to try to escape out the window on the second story and sort of climb down. And he finds her and shoots her in the leg with, uh, with an arrow. And so that, that actually, I was impressed in how much of a part that that ends up playing in this movie. Yes. Because, uh, I wish that they admit, because it looks like she gets shot, like, in her uh, calf, right? Like, in her calf. Um, but, or is, am I wrong? Was no, it, it's, it's more in, like, the meaty part of the thigh. Okay. I guess that makes sense. It looked like it was such a... Because here's the thing. She shoots him with a crossbow at one point, and he acts like just completely unfazed by that. She shoots him in the chest, like right in his shoulder, and he's completely unfazed, hardly makes mention of it at all. Um, whereas they play, as Zach said, a big part of, oh, she's going to bleed out from this arrow that she got in the thigh. Which I... That was one thing where I'm like, ah, I mean, this guy's also been shot and more in his torso area, so he's not going to bleed out, but she's going to bleed out? Like, what? Yeah, I, I don't know. That, that, that was one thing that I sort of questioned, but it was... Oh, I'm being a nitpicky. 
Well, I think it was um, my my excuse is that he's wearing like a couple of layers. It seems mm. so. Maybe there was some sort of protectiveness there on the chest, where right. she's just wearing a, a pair of jeans. So okay, um, yeah. But I thought it was going to be uh, quickly ignored. Like she gets shot in the leg, she like hobbles back in the house. And normally, in a cheesy slasher horror film, that would just be like a costume change. Like, she would have, like, you know, sort of like, oh, now she's got a bandana on her leg. Um, but no, we get this whole drawn-out, horrific, silent scene of her trying to clean the wound and, you know, et cetera, et cetera. And she hobbles around for the rest of the movie, and they play out the part of, like, you're going to bleed out and die for the, you know, as, as major plot points in the rest of the movie. The thing I would have done a little differently, and on, although I know she didn't really have the option, so she peels off her jeans, she cleans the wound, and then puts the jeans back on, and then, like, kind of ties it up. I would have tried to find a different pair of pants, because it's like, that's probably filthy anyway, and just putting filthy jean material back on the wound is probably not going to be the best if you're trying to avoid infection. But again, that's yeah. the key. Um, picky, but but you know what you uh, what you remind me of is that I remember watching this and seeing sort of the the silent screams that happen in scenes like that, and I just remember thinking to myself like, wow, I want every character in a horror movie to be mute. This is so much more pleasant. Right, exactly. Hearing like the you know, oh my god, ah! yeah, <laughs> throughout the whole movie, this is a lot more pleasant, enjoyable to watch. So then. Uh... An interesting aspect, so uh, finally, so we're about 50 minutes into the movie, and the boyfriend of Sarah, uh, our main character's uh, bosom buddy, shows up looking for his girlfriend, and the killer acts as though he's a new deputy, so he's like, oh, you know, and he, and he kind of catches him uh, off guard and sort of heads him off as a pass, and here's the here's the clip of that. On the ground! Oh. I said on the ground, hey, no, drop hey. it. No, no, it's just, it's just a drop phone. It. I was just going to call the cops. Hands your head. Okay. On your knees. Okay, take it easy, man. Hands where I can see him. Friend. Don't want any trouble. Listen, just do what I say, all right? My name is John Stanley. I said on your okay, knees, Okay, okay, okay. I'm a neighbor, okay? I was just coming here to look for my girlfriend. All right, show me some ID. It's in my wallet, okay? Take it easy. Hands where I can see him. Nice. I'm and just going to go right? from my wallet, all right? I'm going to put my phone down. Reach for my wallet, okay? Take it easy. So what was interesting about that is it did the... Oh hey, I'm just you know I'm I'm lying to cover up my tracks sort of thing. Uh oh, there's holes in my story um, trope, but I still thought it did it pretty well. It did it pretty well, and the idea of him even trying it in the first place was unexpected to me because we see the killer hear the boyfriend show up and start pounding on the door, and at this point we're watching the guy alone pounding on the door, going, "Oh, who the hell is she?" and I entirely expected this was going to be a stealth kill at this point. He was going to mm -hmm. wait for the guy to come down the stairs, and he was going to stab him, and that was going to be the end of it. And that it would be one of those, like, God damn it, why did that happen? And so it was unexpected even for him to try and do this at all. But I'd say this is the scene that really made me kind of put this movie above what was maybe, oh, this is a pretty, pretty good but kind of forgettable horror film to, okay, I would honestly buy this because I feel that every character... Although they are playing their part in the horror movie, they go above and beyond that. That the killer, the nameless, almost faceless killer, goes above and beyond that. He's sort of almost weirdly charming and clearly has a mask of sanity that he can put on. Mm -hmm. um, the 
big jock who runs up to try and save the day. Uh, he goes above and beyond. He's not just useless. He doesn't just get killed off without a fight. Um, so I was really, really impressed with where every single character, though still filling a role in a horror movie, went to go beyond that. Yeah, because the uh, the jock guy almost saves the day. He He's like got the, uh, when, when the jig is up and he's attacking the the serial killer, like he almost chokes him out. Like he almost, mm-hmm. he almost takes care of it, which was also impressive. Cause yeah, I was expecting like easy kill, blah, blah, blah. And then the other thing that's hilarious is when the killer actually finally kills the jock guy, he's just sitting there and he goes, yeah, there's no way I would have won that fight. Like he, he kind of yeah. sticks and moves a little bit. And I was like, I'm kind of intrigued by a movie serial killer who is also not confident in his own abilities. Like, he's just like, <laughs> like yeah, well, holy shit, that was close. That was or at the very crazy. least, very realistic in, in yeah. terms of he knows what he is and who he is, and had been sizing this guy up and was like, I got I mean, <laughs> he, he says, I had a two in ten chance of this working. And so, uh, he... Really what happens is once the, the guy pokes some holes in his story, he grabs a rock and is about to knock this guy out, and it's actually Maddie who bangs on the door and distracts the boyfriend, and that's when we see a knife slide into the frame and into the boyfriend's neck. And he, with a knife to the neck, is still able to almost choke this guy out, which is very, very impressive. In fact, fakes his own death for a moment in order to get the jump on the killer, which is great. That's one of the moments where I'm like, this is, these people are very smart, and I, I like this. I like that these people are smarter than they look and smarter than you would expect. Exactly. So, uh, so then we get the reintroduction of the voices uh, motif. And so we have Maddie, who's finally, you know, accepted her role as the final girl, and she's decided that, uh, you know, this is going to be the final stand. And so this is the uh, this is the reintroduction of the various creative voices that are in her head. And he's got the advantage. He has the advantage. He can hear you. I can't run. I can't hide. And we can't wait. You go outside, you're dead. Too many endings. They're all the same. All the same. Which means there's only one ending he won't expect. He can't run, hide, or wait. What does that leave? Now, one thing that I thought was really interesting here is... Did the movie fake you out? Fake me out about what? When she runs out of the house the first time? Oh, no, no, no. I was just kind of like, what the hell is going on here? Um, But uh, the the thing that impressed me was after this scene happens, I'm expecting, okay, now she's going to go full Sarah Connor. She's going to be just this unbelievable badass and just fuck this guy's day up. And she really wasn't. She it was still very realistic, like so grounded reality. Still pretty badass, but but still very but not much like ridiculous. Reality. Yeah, not yeah. like oh, there's no way. Mm-hmm. And so uh, that was impressive to me because yeah, I was like, okay, now it's gonna get crazy, and now it's gonna be, you know, 
a situation where now it's just she's unstoppable and now she's building like it's going to be from dust till dawn she's going to build the weird <laughs> phallic uh you know stake gun and she's just going to go and just destroy this guy and then she doesn't i the um the thing you just heard by the way is very disturbing um because it's actually showing every situation that she could get killed with and of course that's the reintroduction of the kind of big theme from this movie of not only are there multiple endings to these stories but there's multiple endings to her own life right now and and which way a direction it could take and so it's that that whole motif there uh but it shows her like bleeding to death and just like laying there in the corner with these like sallow sunken eyes like oh god it's really disturbing it's like watching it's like watching laura cross get killed you know like like fuck my god i need to see that um so yeah and so uh so finally we get to the, the, the final confrontation and uh, it's one of those things where she finally realizes like, oh, hey, wait a minute, I'm deaf and he's not, meaning I can have a lot of really annoying shit going on and it's not going to bother me like it would him. So she suddenly hits the fire alarm again, which is loud and obnoxious. Um, oh, but I'm, I'm getting ahead of myself. So she's she's barricaded herself in the bathroom. She's got her knife and this is going to be the last stand and he... Breaks it would have looked like broke a window and sneaks in behind. Yeah, yeah, I think it was a window, unless this guy had some kind of saw equipment to saw a hole in the, the ceiling, um, but came through behind her and landed in the bathtub and then sits there crouched behind her and uh, starts whispering to her and saying, like, you know, I bet that if I stabbed you in just the right place of your neck that I could get a scream. And he laughs to himself, and the exhale as he laughs... You see it hit the back of her neck, and she, like a complete badass, flips the knife around in her hand and just stabs backwards and hits the guy in the knee. And uh, I think that you and I know that this is the one scene that I would have played differently if I were her. Yes. Okay, so we are in agreement on that. Then. Yeah, so, because he drops the knife. Yeah, she stabs him, and then she hobbles the hell out of the bathroom. Mm-hmm. And then they have this big sort of hand-to-hand confrontation in the in the living room. Um, yeah, I would have done things differently there because at that point, you're in close enough proximity, he's not at his best, I would be stabbing the ever-loving shit out of him at that point. Yeah, he, he dropped his own knife. He's got a knife in his leg. He's screaming bloody murder. Um, uh, there, there's no reason why she couldn't have grabbed his own knife and put it right in his face right at that moment. But it's fine. We needed the, uh, within the concept of the movie and the, the, you know, structure of a film and not of the reality of being in this situation. It was better because then the confrontation in the kitchen involves the idea of blindness and deafness and disability because she sprays wasp killer in his eyes and temporarily blinds him. And as you said, sets off the fire alarm. So he's like potentially deafened at that moment from that. And so it, it plays with those concepts and the idea of well, what's truly a, a disability, what's truly a disadvantage in a situation like this. Right. And so they go back and forth. And he starts to kind of overpower her a little bit physically. And so he's trying to strangle the life out of her. And she finally gets her hands on a wine cork opener and uh, stabs him in the jugular. And he finally dies from that. And this was the part where I was like, absolutely sure. I'm like, okay, now she's going to scream or laugh or something. Like she's going to make some sort of noise because she's like coughing very hard and, like, looks like she's straining, and I'm like, all right, here it comes. And no, she's just like, okay. And she she gets her phone out of his pocket and 
calls 911 and she's just waiting on the front porch for the for the cops to show up. Yeah, and that's exactly what you what I I hear what you're saying about about this is not Sarah Connor at the end of the movie. Um that she still almost gets killed even though she's she had this event, she had this resolution, I'm going to kill this guy. It's the only thing he won't expect is me killing him. Um that she still is inches away from death. We hear her Yeah, she's still pretty swelling. shaky. Yeah. Yeah, they, they both are. I mean, they both get some some knocks on each other throughout this movie. I mean, you know, she gets an arrow in his shoulder. She gets the, the hammer in his wrist, uh, stabs him in the leg there. You know, he's got an arrow in her. He, at one point, there's a horrifying scene where she's trying to get back in the house with the crossbow that, that she has taken from him. And uh, her hand just can't get in that sliding door fast enough. And he slams her wrist in and then stomps the ever-loving shit out of her hand and just breaks all of her fingers. And it's another silent scream moment that's just horrifying and, and probably more effective, more effective than an actual woman just screaming at the top of her lungs is this silent scream and the pain that we see in this, in this poor woman's face at having her hand completely broken. Yeah, and just unbelievable acting on her part. Like, she yeah. just definitely did oh, yeah, an she's excellent really good. job. Yeah, she's apparently not a newbie to horror. She's done some other stuff. I think she was an Oculus. Um, so not, not a, uh, a horror newbie. Um, not a, not a newbie to being a screen queen, but very, very good. Very impressive. I mean, considering this is really the only character you get any amount of connection with, uh, or know anything about in any way. Uh, very, very, it sold me completely. Like I said, I would, I would purchase this. Absolutely. Any other thoughts on the film? I mean, like, I, like we said, we've both been gushing about it. Yeah, and I know this is probably a weird episode for multiple reasons, but but also just hearing us, um, it's probably pretty boring, hearing us just talk about how great the movie is, instead of being, I just thought big again. Um, but don't worry, we'll get back in that next week. Um, but but this is really a sincerely good film, and being that it's on Netflix right now, and I'm sure you, uh, probably other people you've heard talk about it, uh, people have watched it, it's got a very high rating on Netflix right now. A lot of people are, have good things to say about it, and I would definitely check it out. It's it's uh, it's a movie that'll definitely have you on the edge of your seat, most definitely. What, what about you? Any final sort of thoughts about it? it? It actually kind of revitalized me a little bit as a as a horror watcher, just because. Um, a lot of it's very easy to get jaded with with uh, a particular genre of film. Yeah. Um, and you kind of fall into that trope of like, oh well, you know, if it's before, you know, if it's after like 1994, it's not even fucking worth my time. You know, it's nobody's gonna, everyone's just doing ripoffs of classic stuff or remakes or whatever. And it's the concept that, it, that that nothing can be new at this point. Right. And I hate to try and put Hush up on a pedestal by saying, oh, you have to have a gimmick in your horror movie. Like, you did something, you know, because she's deaf, you know, and, and so you, ha- you have to have a gimmick. It can't just be a standard slasher or a standard zombie movie. I'm sure it could be. I'm sure that there are still very good horror films out there that don't have some kind of a gimmick. And once again, I, I hesitate to call this a gimmick because it doesn't feel that way while you're watching it. Um, but, but I'm sure that there are, there are still formulaic, in a sense, horror movies that are just done well or have recurring themes or, or revisit ideas or, or try to, you know, go above and beyond in some way that, that this clearly does. And that's what makes a good movie, not just horror, but in general, that's what makes a good film is attempting to do something greater than what the audience might be expecting. Yeah, and so I this gave me hope. This movie gave me hope that, you know, we may be able to find, you know, some great gems out there that are still coming out. 
And it's not oh just one God. of those things of yeah. like, well, you know, pack it in because we're never going to top, you know, House of a Thousand Corpses, so why even bother? It's like, no, no, there's there's still opportunity out there, and there's still people with very clever ideas, you know, that can make uh, horror movies or bring new things to horror movies. Because you're right, you know, it's the, the lesson here isn't necessarily put a gimmick in your horror film. It's bring a new idea to a horror film. Yeah, and uh, it's interesting to hear us be all bright-eyed and bushy-tailed now, come out of the gate feeling like this, end the episode on such a positive note, and then next week we're going to get right back into the real shit of it and probably watch something entirely horrible. and, and just, real yeah, shit of it. Um, yeah, so... <laughs> <laughs> but but yeah, I, I was I was very pleased with this movie. I would most definitely recommend it uh, to go check out Hush. Yes, great. Well, um, with that said, unless you have any further thoughts about the film, I think we're ready to try and decide uh, who, uh, if either of us, is going to be picking the uh, shit fest for next week. Yeah, I, I, like I said, in short, awesome, awesome movie. I highly recommend it. Great. Well, uh, this week our game is actually called Screams or Screamo. Uh, what Zach and I were given was uh, a title that was either going to be of a rock song um, or of a horror movie. And we had to guess whether it was a rock song or a horror movie. So what we have here are the results of the game. So the first title was Kung Fu Devil. Uh, Zach and I both answered that this must be a horror movie. I said it was a horror movie and that I will more than likely probably be reviewing it from the soundtrack <laughs> at some point. Um, but apparently the answer is it's a song. It's a song by AFI off the album Answer That and Stay Fashionable from 1995. So that's a zero for both of us. What a um, great start. So uh, the next is called Realm of the Senses. Both of us answered, that's a song. It has to be. Although I could see, I could see it being like a Clive Barker film now, but I said, I said song originally. Yes. Um, so that's a horror movie from 1976. Damn it. So we're both wrong again. Uh, the next is called In a Glass Cage. You and I both said, that's gotta be a song. What movie would be called In a Glass Cage? Especially the concept of I'm in a glass cage of emotion. That's gotta be a song. I, uh, I was actually, when I was answering these, I was thinking of like, could I picture a movie trailer with this title? That was kind of where I, I made my judgment call from. And obviously that system, a resounding failure so far. But, uh, but you that could was not that's imagine. Where I, that's yeah, where I was coming be. from. Uh, yeah, I was trying to think of like, uh, Susan Sarandon, uh, David Bowie. In a glass mm. case. Like, no, there's no way. That just sounds awful. Exactly. Uh, however, it was actually a horror movie made in 1986. So we're, we are both zero for zero at this point. Um, luckily, well, there's two more, so there's still a very good chance that one of us is going to win this game. There's also a very good chance that we bullshit the bet again. So Okay, well, well, the next one is called TikTok Tomorrow. And I thought there's there's no possible way that this could be a horror movie. TikTok Tomorrow. There's no way. So I said it was a song. I don't remember what I said. You also said it was a song. <laughs> <laughs> I thought it was like a Broadway song. But... Uh, no, and it is indeed a song. Oh, uh, great, wonderful. It is from first to last, their self-titled album in 2008. Uh, it is indeed a song. So we both now have one point. So let's hope to God we uh, answer different for the final question of this 
five fucking question game that we do every week in order to ensure that one of us will win the fucking game. Oh, the last I, so, is called Fire in the Sky. Yes. Did you assume this was a horror movie? I think I did. Um, you did. Okay, good. I'm an I did as well. Good. <laughs> it is indeed a horror movie. <laughs> from 1993, which means we absolutely tie the game. <laughs> okay, all right. I have a quarter here, so call it in the air. Oh, do you not want to just do our halvesies like we did? Oh, shitty. I didn't think I'm about that. I'm going to tiebreaker if you want it, but but I think that since we're so nope. bad at this. Fuck that. Let's do the halvesies. Let's do halvesies. So what we'll do is uh, we'll post uh, on our Twitter and Instagram uh, probably on Monday maybe um, or Tuesday. We'll post what movies we've chosen and which half we're going to watch. And you guys get another halvesies episode. I love those. All right. Well, then uh, let's do that again. We are completely inept in terms of playing these games that we've set up for ourselves. We're terrible um, at it, yes. Just absolutely. the worst. And uh, so, yeah, like I said, this has been a very bizarre episode. <laughs> yes, it has. So let's uh, get to plugs here real quick. First and foremost, I want to give a big special shout-out to David Cummings from the No Sleep Podcast, which you can, of course, find on all your favorite podcasting apps. The a no gentleman Sleep and a scholar. Yes, um, and also at thenosleeppodcast.com. Thenosleeppodcast.com. You can find him there and on all the social media there. So, David Cummings, thank you so much. You were amazing. Oh, and you guys can look forward to hearing our excellent stories on the No Sleep Podcast soon. I, I can assume he's yeah. got to call us back, right? I mean, how could you not with those stories? Exactly. You- I was going to say, we clearly we are better at storytelling than we are playing games that we have help invent. So Yeah, and on our end, if, you, if you've made it this far, guys, thank you so much. We really, really appreciate your support. Leave us a, a like. Uh, follow us on Twitter and Instagram at Fright Failures, Frightful Failures, respectively. Leave us a review on iTunes. We really, really appreciate it. And if you've got any suggestions, if you watched a terrible horror movie recently and you would love to get our take on it, please send us an email, FrightfulFailures at Yahoo.com. We will be happy to take a look at it, and we're happy to take a big, steamy dump all over it just for mm-hmm. you what about you buddy got anything to plug no um i have uh yeah nothing so just go listen to no sleep listen to us uh please support push us talk about us talk about us at the water cooler in the morning uh, on monday morning please do and, uh, by the face um just like <laughs> dr white threaten them if they bring up any sort of thing <laughs> that'd be great <laughs> <laughs> Our fans, the only fans who grab people by the mouth and just yes. talk into their face. Yes. Thank you so much, guys. We really appreciate it. Yeah, again, thank you. Uh, I am Zach Romero. He is Tian Guignol. Thank yes. you once again for listening to Frightful Failures on film. And as always, continue circulating the tapes. <laughs>